So before the break, I uh, started to talk about the four uh, the four approaches to work with anger, and the first one was the mindfulness, and I used the example of um, the RAIN model. A similar method would be the compassionate abiding of um, Pema Schutren, which we have been shared, which we shared on the in the online group. Another w- method would be similar method uh, would be uh, a- emotional rescue by Tsukshan Pondok Rinpoche. Uh, so. And, and when you would compare those different methods, you would find kind of a bit the same principles. So it's always about recognizing and allowing, accepting, and then investigating deeply, and then ending in the in the recognition of innermost awareness, uh, in the recognition of emptiness. So it's it's similar. They they put different words into this, but um, you will find that it's a bit the same process. So if you, if you have space for, for another book, uh, uh, exploring this way to work with with any kind of intensive emotions. And this book by Sokshin Pondok Rinpoche is probably helpful. Emotional Rescue, it's called. Emotional Rescue? Rescue, yeah. Emotional Rescue. <coughs> it's like a step-by-step approach where he goes into the different, uh, into, into the different aspects of, of his model. It's, it's, it's basically the same as the RAIN model. But... Um, different divided so the second uh, category is uh, the uh, the category the method of framing the situation so the lojong changing the attitudes so that's a cognitive practice the first practice the first the mindfulness practice is not a cognitive practice you mainly work with the energy of the emotion within the body of course you use also your cognitive uh, i mean in order to follow steps you need to use your cognitive capacities but the emphasis is on working with the emotional energy in the body And uh, in the second, the second, uh, the second category is the cognitive approach. So, the lojong. You frame the situation. You give the situation a different meaning. For example, uh, someone hurts you, or someone is annoying, and you do the reflection on. Uh, on the ref- why wow. now my first thought was uh, the reflection on the kindness of the mother it's maybe not so uh, available to to all of us but 
no, let's now for a moment uh, just buy the whole thing. I mean that you have past lives and that you know everyone has has been your mother in past lives. So that's that's like the, the Buddhist myth about uh, past lives and having uh, having a mother in all these lives. So and remembering the kindness of this mother. No, the, it's the reflection uh, coming from the bodhicitta in tradition. So that would be reframing the situation. So someone who seems to be a stranger annoys you. And then you reflect like this. You, you, you change your attitude and you reflect like this. Hey, a moment, just a moment. This person seems to be a stranger. But just recently, just two years, two, two lives ago, no, just very recent, just two, <laughs> it's almost like yesterday, you know, the, this person took care of me and sacrificed her life and <coughs> she did so much for me. She fed me, she was there when I was sick. We were so close and uh, I was so unhappy always when I was separated from her. And now I don't recognize my mother. I don't recognize my own mother. So if that can, uh, if that genuinely uh, triggers uh, an experiential change, you know, then it's a good method for you. But it needs to be. Uh, it's not um, the the danger with this kind of reframing it that it stays on the surface. Some, something like, yeah, I should feel that she is my mother, but <laughs> well, it, 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 um, it leads to something which is the English word for that. In German we say scheinheilig. Yeah? Uh, it leads to that kind of superficial goodness and underneath, wow, you can feel it mm -hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> underneath it, the shadow and it's really feeble it's in the air the shadow is in the air um, so but uh, if you are in tune with your body and um, with how you feel how you really feel then you, you, you notice you can check yourself does this kind of uh, shifting, looking at the situation in a different way, really change something, and is it or is it just blah? So the Lojong slogans, yeah, the Lo the Lojong slogans, they are all about changing, uh, reframing the situation. This with problems, it could be the teachings on karma. Like, ah, that's so wonderful that I have this problem because it's um, purifying my karma. One way to uh, practice this, to use this, is to uh, 
work with the Lojong slogans and, and, uh, and read them. Have some prayers or <coughs> some, some verses, like the, the Bodhisattva is uh, has a lot of those Lojong, uh, uh, the Lojong, a lot of the Lojong slogans that come from the Bodhisattva they are like taken out of the uh, of that text so a lot of the verses within the Bodhisattva are about reframing about changing your attitude towards a, a certain situation and why is that possible why is it possible to change a situation by changing your attitude it is possible because the situation is empty that's why it's possible. If the situation would be what it is from its own side, then it wouldn't make sense to practice Lojong because a situation, if a situation is what it is from its own side, then you can think whatever and it wouldn't change a thing. Then a problem remains a problem. But since a problem is not a problem from its own side, but it is made to, into a problem by you labeling it and making it into what it is for you through your conceptual mind, that's why you can change it. So the Lojong practice, the reframing practice, makes only really sense when we understand emptiness. So the third is uh, cultivating opposite emotion. So that would be a loving-kindness meditation, for example. So you do a loving-kindness meditation with the person you are angry with. And the third is uh, the generate, generating wisdom, realizing emptiness. So wisdom, the third category is the wisdom. The wisdom of seeing that the opponent, the action and the person who is being hurt is empty of existing in a solid, independent, substantial way. taking the situation serious but not personal.
So, and then of course, we come to the question again at the end of uh, talking about uh, this first. There needs to be the question. Yeah. <laughs> to arrive at the perfection. No. No, I. Oh, I, I read that already. Okay, it's done. <laughs> I read that already. Yeah. So, any questions about comments about uh, this first? The, the first about uh, patience. Okay, so then what we need now is joyful effort. Um, so that's f verse uh, 27. For bodhisattvas who want to be... No, listeners and solitary Buddhas working only for their own welfare are seen to practice if as if their heads were on fire. To help all beings, pour your energy into practice. It's the source of all abilities. This is the practice of a bodhisattva. So what uh, Tom Misampo says, no, even the practitioners on the on the on the level uh, of the Hinayana, who practice only for their own welfare, they even, I mean, they are on fire, and they work only for themselves. What is with us? We are supposed to be on the Bodhisattva path, so we work on for the welfare of all beings. So we we could have even even more so. Even more so, we could have the energy and practice as if we are on fire. Yeah? So that's what he says. So this is about this is about our passion in uh, our passion and our trust into the ability for freedom. How serious are we in our practice? How much of our of our uh, life's energy do we pour into the practice and um, uh, one could uh, uh, one could use a bit uh, the structure of the lam rim the three scopes of the lam rim to explore a bit the different intentions uh, which can exist within our spiritual practice <laughs> like in the beginning 
when we when we when we when we start you know maybe we start a bit with a sense of yeah, i want to i want to feel better you know it's and i try this a little and this a little and i read this book and and there is like just this yeah, i want to feel better in like the next few weeks, the f next few months, I just want to feel back. I, I have difficult feelings, and I just want—I I want to feel better. So that's why I—I start—I I start to do a bit yoga, a bit of mindfulness. I go a bit to the Buddhist center, learn a bit. It's interesting. I can drink coffee there. There's <laughs> nice people, and uh, so that would be the. The, the the level of energy on the modest level, yeah, on the first level of the number, like being concerned about one's own feeling good and being concerned about like the future, wanting to feel good in the future. So that level of practice is not being on fire. So that's uh, you know then because you know it, there's no like there's no commitment there's no stability uh, and it's just uh, it, 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 it's it, not much will happen and then we try that this and then we try that and then because it does not work immediately meaning does not work means we don't feel better yeah, because that's our measurement ah, my spiritual practice does not work because I don't feel better because we entered the practice because we wanted to feel better yeah and then then we stop after some time because and try something else someone who has a better marketing we can fool us a bit for a while. So that's uh, the first scope in the Lamrim. Then in the second scope, and that's the level of the uh, what is here the listeners and the solitary Buddhas. Yeah? So it's like these are these are two two like two types of practitioners which are described in the in the Buddhist teachings, who are on the Hinayana level. So, on the second, in the second scope of the of um, of the Lamrim, the 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 passion really starts because you start to see that it is possible to be free. You start to see where do where is my feeling bad is coming from. And you, so you start to see, wow, this is, it's coming from my identification with the I thought. It's coming from me taking things too serious and too personal. It's coming from ignorance. So you start to understand and then also have the experience that uh, not not freedom from problems. That's not never possible. But
but freedom from the struggle of problems. That that is possible. Because we struggle with our problems because of ignorance. Because of the identification with the I thought and because we believe that the problems exist in a solid, serious way. That's why we suffer. So in the, in the second scope, you see that. You, 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 and then your, your practice becomes um, more passionate. I mean, if you, if you see that, if you understand that, and you start to have some experiences, some glimpses of it, I mean, what else would you do with your life? What else would be more important in your life than this? If you have checked it yourself, if you, have, if you see it, if you see, uh, this, is, this is how it is. It's not just because the Buddha said or the Dalai Lama said. I can see it myself. So then, you, then of course, you start to commit uh, to this path. You, your, your practice becomes stable. You take your seat as a practitioner. So now, from there, from that possibility that freedom is possible, not freedom from problems, but freedom from struggle, then comes the next, the, th the third scope of the Ramrim, and that is to open your heart, to open your eyes and see, wow, everyone is struggling. Everyone is struggling and it's all based on a mistake. It's all not necessary. It's based on ignorance, something which can be corrected. Not by fixing the world, but by fixing the mind of people. So then, even more so, there's energy. I mean, in, in the middle scope, it's a bit still like, yeah, it's just one person. I mean, and it's, you know, it's, maybe it's, uh, it's just me. So, you know, I, I think I, I just follow the path of addiction and uh, <laughs> um, entertainment. Because it's, I mean, just me, who cares about me? And then I die, and you know. So, but then if you come to the third scope, and you re and and it's a you know one one image they use in the teachings is imagine imagine a mother whose child is sick, and it's a terminal terminal illness, but there is a medication for this illness. It, and the mother knows where she can learn to make this m make this medicine and it's a long journey she has to she has to travel far away and she has to go to that place and where the doctor is and the doctor has to explain her how to how to make the medicine and then she has to travel back to a child and and give that medicine imagine that mother I mean, she's going like this. It's like no sleep, no break. It's just like going there. 
it's like single pointed concentration. She is not she is not going to hang out and looking at nice mountains and you know, because and nothing I mean she's going to kill. If something comes, that's not very Buddhist. But, <laughs> <laughs> but just as like the determination behind, nothing can stop her. And then she goes there, and she comes back, and and there's a lot of force, a lot of. So that's uh, that's an image they use to to give that. To give us a, a, an image of that kind of passion. So, the same as um, with the no hair on fire. Also, this image is not so good in terms of a, a spacious, joyous effort. Yeah. Uh, so it's it's a bit uh, it has its uh, its shortcomings these two these two uh, <coughs> you know, these two images. So, um, in the teachings, they mention four aspects of joyous effort. You know, joyous effort, it, it's you know, sometimes it's called pe- perseverance. Perseverance. Uh, this joyous effort is, is a, I think it's a good combination because what we need to find is a, a balance between the, 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 like really the, 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 the determination, but it needs to be neither too, too, too tight nor too loose. So that's what what we need to find, like that middle way between too too tight, too uh, yeah, so that we we burn out and, and and we lose the joy in our practice, and it becomes a practice based on fear and duty, and uh, yeah, we push too much, we, uh, we are dissatisfied and frustrated in our practice. And so, and to lose, yeah. So to find the the middle the middle way between those, like the Buddha in this uh, story where he says to musician 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 to to practice like you play a string instrument. So not too tight. You don't tight the strings too strong because then they break. But also not too loose because then they don't make a nice sound. So you find exactly that right, that right place between to be between too tight and too loose. And I never talk about the becoming tighter. Yeah, I know some other teachers do that. So. 
I can leave that to them. I'm always talking about lose, lose, lose. Yeah, but that's what most of us need. Yeah, that, that's what not because we are too too tight. Yeah, but then it can sometimes sometimes it can go into the other direction. Too much into the in, too much into the too loose. Um, so the four aspects of joyous effort. The first is the aspiration, the inspiration, and here the most powerful um, inspiration we can have is the inspiration of bodhicitta. So the intention in your practice. <coughs> and it's obvious, if your intention in your practice is to feel better, it's, it's not going to be very powerful. Because uh, it's like, yeah, then maybe you, you just... You know, there's easier things to do to feel better. You know, there's like... Karlsberg and Tuborg and that's that's works for sure. Yeah? And it's like So to, to go to a meditation retreat and study and in I mean we have to do this for the rest of this life. Um, uh, then your our motivation to feel better will not be uh, will not carry us through. So the the most powerful, more we can connect with a sense of compassion, a sense of uh, wanting to make your life beneficial for others. More you can connect with that. more joyful your practice will be. Of course, it's already a lot to be on the, on the stage of uh, seeing that liberation is possible. I mean, that's, that's all. I mean, we, we shouldn't put that down. That's amazing to have that kind of dedication of the second scope, of the seven, second level of the Dhamma. So there is the a part of the aspiration can be the aspiration we receive to, through our teachers, like His Holiness the Dalai Lama, the other lamas who come here, who uh, who are who embody for us that it is actually possible. It makes it makes a huge difference. I mean, if we would just read about this in books, and uh, we would hear the stories. Uh, and then we wouldn't have uh, like embodied examples. Um, that is, of course, that makes our, the practice within the Tibetan tradition um, really attractive. That we have uh, masters who embody these teachings.
the second is the stability. Yeah. So part of uh, joyous effort is the, the stability, the steadfastness in our practice. The steadfastness, what Pema Chodron calls steadfastness. So returning to the practice. Um, the returning to the practice, returning to the groups, returning to the books, not, in, not letting go, uh, what is important there, I think, is that you are not too uh, that you are, that you are not too tense around it. <coughs> so not being tense about your practice, and because that will create an aversion in you. So take it easy, take it loose, to take it. Don't push. No, I, I've so, I've seen saw that very often that, for example, volunteers and centers, you know, then they work very hard and, and you, can, you can see that something is, is going wrong, something is going wrong. And they, they burn out and then gone, then they are gone. Mm. Because they don't find that middle, middle way of just giving what is, what is healthy to give and, uh, and then also taking care of themselves and um, so, also in in other people, I see that like, oh, like retreat and you know coming to each meditation session like three times a week, mm. and and then I already know oh, this is lasts only two two a few months, and then they are completely gone. I mean, I don't see them any anymore. So then it's better. Okay, I go once a month, but for thirty five years. For 50 years. I guess nobody has for 50 years left, but uh, <laughs> 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 maybe you. <laughs> 30 years. <laughs> 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 Thirty years, once a month. Yeah. That's better than three months of. I come, I meditate two hours every day, and every evening I go to the center, and then after three months, gone. So it's like <coughs> starting to see. Wow, this is a long-term project. So the third is joy. The third, joy. So how to how to increase the joy in one's practice? Really enjoying your practice. Really liking it. I think one one important a part of this is, and this is not so, it's quite often not 
seen like this in the more traditional approaches is that within your practice you need to follow your preferences. You need to find that which speaks to you, that which fits your energy, that which fits your personality. Like if you are a kind of academic interested person and you love to read and you love to study, then you do that. Then that's your practice. It's meditation. If you, in the morning, you read a book and you contemplate it and you take a pause and you take it with you into the day, you don't need to sit down and meditate. That's, that is meditation. This is just an example. Now, if you are a person who likes to, who really loves to move the body, then you learn a body-based, uh, movement-based uh, meditations. If you are a person who likes to sing, huh? so then do that. So don't try not to uh, take on a practice like a straitjacket and try to adopt to that practice and bend into that practice. But rather uh, see, be creative and brave and responsible for yourself and uh, find the practices which fit your, your, press, your person and also change traditional practices. So if you, if you like to move, you know, is there maybe a way to combine a prayer and yogi, yoga movements? Like, you know, doing a kind of uh, morning salutation and combining it with uh, visualization, prostration to the 35 Buddhas or something like that. If you, if you, would, do, if you would do the other thing, you would put a straitjacket uh, and then with with fear and and uh, guilt you keep on practicing like yeah i have this commitment to the guru and if i'm not doing my commitment then then i will go to hell and <gasps> no i haven't done my commitment for two months and it's it's so horrible and you know and, and like then there is no joy in your practice And of course, some people can keep on doing this for quite some time until they give up. But some people can do it quite quite some years, that kind of practice. Because we are kind of you know, in school also trained. I mean, we are trained in our educational system to endure horrible situations of learning. So then we can do that also with a sadhana. So joy. What is it what you enjoy? What what brings you joy? And how can you 
how can you combine that? How can you bring your practice into that? You know, tanka painting. favorite example is the dog meditation. Mm-hmm. I, I told that before about this client I have who he, she didn't have any time for any kind of meditation practice. And then we came and then we found this, uh, this um, wonderful opportunity she has every day. She walks the dog every evening for half an hour, for 45 minutes. So we, we developed the dog meditation. <laughs> and uh, there's many things in the dog meditation. So you can do the loving-kindness meditation and wishing the dog well. And I mean, it's, it's so easy to do a loving-kindness meditation with a dog. Of course, mindfulness is always possible. So you do it mindfully, turning, yeah. Um, so um, the whole path, the whole Ulamrim, we put into the dog meditation. And then finally, of course, the question, who is walking the dog? <laughs> <laughs> so the dog meditation, she, she became a Buddha by doing the dog meditation, not finding herself, not finding the person who who is walking the dog. Yeah. It's actually not <coughs> effort so important for the development. So, I mean, um, you put in effort, but then for a while, you don't do anything. And, and why I ask is, for example, um, if you train a lot during the day uh, and during the night, you know, you repair a lot by just relaxing, relax your, your mm. sleep. Mm. So, and similarly, I can notice when I play guitar, you know, you study, you know, you, you play notes, etc. But mm. then sometimes you just have to put everything away yeah, yeah. and just relax. Mm. Is it important to not do things as well? Then, uh, I mean, to train and meditate mm. and then mm. yeah. to, to, to grow. Mm. Is there anything on that in the teachings as well? I mean, do I talk about that? Uh, yeah, is the fourth. Always to do things. It's always uh, no. The fourth is rest. Oh, the fourth. Okay. The, the first. But it's this is an important <coughs> question, like to explore. Uh, so particularly in the meditation in the in the kind of meditation we have been exploring this weekend and I mean all the time a bit is uh, the, the effortlessness is very important so it's like the joyous effort in practicing effortlessness like no the the effortlessness or the not doing anything which you describe here mm. is actually something very 
precise something which you do which you do so you you do the non-doing yes 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 exactly yeah yes, yes. It's, it's, an, uh, it's, it's an intention. It's an intention. It's a choice. It's something you need to have discipline about. Yes. Yes. So you need to have, you need to have a lot of discipline, mm. not to have discipline. Mm. Mm. So that's that's how you can see the the how these two things come together, the 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 joyous effort mm. and the effortlessness. So you cultivate joyous effort in being effortless. More and more so. Initially, as a beginner, most of us, we need to have this period, which you describe, of uh, cultivating some basic uh, skills, like some basic attention skills, some basic uh, skills about how to meditate, how to sit, the posture, uh, so most most people need to have that period. And I noticed also that even though you have trained a lot and then you, you rest, it's still in you. So, uh-huh. yeah. so if I come in a situation, mm. it automatically comes up yeah. something from the Buddhist, yes. uh, yeah. just because it's, uh, yeah. it's ingrained yeah. in some yes. way, yeah. even though it's not uh, mm. ah, I have to think about it. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. It just comes up. Uh, yeah. So I think it's important then to ingrain and then relax. Uh, and yeah, then right. Uh, yeah, uh, that's true. Mm. Yeah. Uh-huh. And uh, sometimes when I talk with people, uh, sometimes I recommend people to drop all formal practices. Mm. Also to uh, confront them with why is it why I'm actually practicing, mm. like. Um, to to help people to discover wow my practice is fear and guilt based mm. and if I don't practice I feel I get afraid mm. I get afraid of punishment <laughs> yes. or the Buddha God will punish me if I don't yes. do my daily meditation yeah um, uh, so, and and then what is uh, beautiful uh, is when we sometimes dare to drop the formal practices to just observe what emerges naturally Mm. so before you had your formal practice and you did like let's say it was the Tara practice yeah and uh, and you are really precise and and your sadhana is all worn out and yellow you know because (laughs) 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 Ten, ten years of (laughs) <laughs> yeah, ten years of practice. What did you accomplish? My sadhana is worn out. <laughs> the book is worn out. <laughs> so, and then, you know, someone says, "Okay, just try, see what what happens if you if you just drop the practice." Oh yes, okay. No, probably there's at first there's a lot of fear. So then you then you work with that. Mm-hmm. A lot of fear, but then, what what could happen is that this person suddenly notice, wow, this practice is just happening. I'm reciting this mantra during the day, and it comes, and I call upon Tara in situation when I need her, and I I fall asleep with thinking about her, 
and I have a feeling that I move around her all the time and th that she's always there. That's much more than having that half an hour formal forced practice. So this is a bit this confidence which arises, what you describe. Yeah, I mean, it's like you, you notice, yeah, I'm not sitting every day anymore because, you know, now I have maybe more children or something mm -hmm. like that. And, um, and it, it, my life is very, very uh, unstable just now. But I notice that it comes. Yes. Yeah. But I also noticed the fear and guilt you mentioned. Mm -hmm. So initially, as you mm -hmm. said, oh, yeah. wasting time. Or I should be. Or mm. It's like medicine, you know. Yeah. And you get addicted to the drugs as well. Yes. So uh, you need to step off the, you know, because you think you know that you can feel good by meditating, feeling, you know, like that. Or when I stepped off, as you say, uh, mm. oh, I'm, I haven't meditated for three months now. Yeah. Oh, mm. I'm wasting so much, but on, but it doesn't. It still uh, work. I mean, yeah. you need to do that period as well. At least I felt. Uh, yeah. And, uh, yes. So there is fear and, and guilt. Yeah, and it it could be that in some time you notice that uh, <coughs> that uh, you have suddenly a daily practice again, but something has changed. Mm -hmm. It's more your practice. So it's something which happens. So now, of course, we are talking about a person who has already a quite stable <laughs> commitment to the journey. Yeah. Because it's obvious that uh, Pat Patrick will not, uh, he, he will not let go of the hook to the, to the Tibetan tradition. I mean, it's like uh, there will be other teachers and other methods and books and... But, uh, so, yeah, so the fourth uh, is um, rest, yeah. holiday like everyone else you know, to do to do to do things you used to do also things you enjoyed with your partner with your family Then, of course, the question. 
to arrive at the perfection of energy, you have to take one more step. Ask yourself, who is that that helps beings? And look, just look. As before, look and rest. Rest in the looking. Look in the resting. At some point, the conceptual mind drops away and you see that while you help others in whatever way you can, there is no you there, nor are there any others. Everything you do is simply a natural response to what you see, hear, feel and understand. You never think of another being, you never think of another soul, or a life, or a person. Those thoughts never cross your mind. You just do what life calls for, moment by moment. You just do what life calls for, moment by moment. So that's the perfection of joyous effort. You just do what life calls for, moment by moment. Is flexibility to, yeah. to do what life's mm -hmm. calls for. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes rest, or sometimes effort, mm. or sometimes mm. this, this, yeah, this, yes, to find right. yeah. what to do now, hold mm -hmm. back, yes, go forward. Exactly, yeah. Uh. yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's have a break. So let's uh, take the opportunity to shift again for the last time for this weekend. So if you adjust your, push, your posture and then dropping into the body, checking in how you are, how it is for you just now. Softening the belly and the shoulders.
then if possible to appreciate the space which arises when we sit quietly together. Within that space, your experience unfolds, comes and goes. Including the sense of I. And then at the end of this weekend, we can rejoice in this group, in this center, into this weekend that we have created together. How wonderful, how fortunate we are to have uh, such a steady group of people. arose, whatever insight arose, whatever inspiration arose, whatever benefit arose within this weekend we share from heart to heart with each other and then we 
share it with our life, with our relationships, our past and our future, so that this weekend remains a source for loving space. the coming days, the coming weeks, the coming months, the coming lives. And imagine yourself to return to this loving space in the coming weeks, the coming months, coming lives. left. <coughs> the first 29, which is the first on, on the meditation or concentration. And it says, understanding that emotional reactions are dismantled, dismantled by insight supported by stillness. Cultivate meditative stability that passes right by the form the four formless states this is the practice of a bodhisattva so understanding that emotional reactions are dismantled by insight supported by stillness so emotional reactions are dismantled by Wisdom by vipassana, 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 vipassana. That's dismantled by insight. You look deeply and you don't find the emotion and also the person who has the emotion. So emotional reactions are dismantled or de they are they are. They are opened, they are looked through, they are deconstructed, they are made less personal, less serious through insight, through vipassana. But in order for your vipassana to be powerful, you need to have shamatha, or at least some shamatha. Some, uh, some, um, some stillness, no? supported by stillness, the stillness here, supported by stillness, the stillness refers to shamatha, to calm abiding. So this is talking about the, uh, the, the coming together of the practice of shamatha and vipassana in one mind. <coughs> 
in Tibetan Laktong and Shina. The, the coming together of Laktong and Shina, of a stable mind who vipassana, vipassana, vipassana. Yeah? If your mind is like this, vipassana, vipassana is very, uh, you know, your mind goes everywhere, so you, you can't really dismantle the emotion, meaning you can't really investigate when your mind goes all over the place. So that's what is meant here. First you understand, wow, I, I can dissolve my reactivity through insight, but in order to have that insight, I need to have some kind of stability. I have I have, I have to have a still mind. Not completely, but, yeah. So that's what the first two verses mean. Cultivate a medita meditative stability that passes right by the four, the four formless states. The four formless states, they are also called the four dhyanas. Yeah? It is something which is not practiced or even aspired within the Tibetan tradition. But in the Theravada tradition, they talk about that and they cultivate and they work with this very, it's a very uh, still, a very settled state of mind. And it's even more settled than, so it comes in the, in, in the, in the meditative training, it comes above the nine stages of shamatha. So you go through the nine stages of shamatha, develop shamatha, calm abiding, a completely still mind, and then there is four stages even more so, more, more subtle, more still. So, but in the Tibetan tradition they say that is not necessary. They actually say it's a kind of trap because you get there and you're completely useless. You are like still, still, still. Oh, there's more stillness, more still, still, still. Yeah, still. Ah, I don't need to do anything. Still, still, still. Maybe I'm enlightened. <laughs> but all you are is still. And then, if you go down into the village and you're criticized, you freak out because. That stillness is not addressing the real problem. So your reactivity, the seat of your reactivity remains. It's a temporary peace, a temporary, a temporary peace which can be so powerful that people have been confusing it with Nirvana. Mm. And uh, in the Tibetan tradition, they say if you are, if you die. Uh, in that kind of mental absorption, you will be reborn in the in the formless realm, and then you will be lost for eons, like completely useless, because you don't bother. No, but no, no pain, no difficulties, no others. You are in peace. So these uh, formless realms which you are reborn into, they are called the God realms. So there's different 
different densities of God realms. So there is the God realms where you actually have a kind of subtle body and you do parting and, you know, a bit like Greek kind of <laughs> Greek God environment. Um, but then there is this uh, God realms where you don't have a body. <coughs> you don't have a coarse body. So, um, that passes right by the four formless states means you cultivate uh, mental stability, which is the combination of Shine and Lacton, of Vipassana and Shamatha, and that passes by the four formless states because it's in a way more precious. Because the combination of Shamatha and Vipassana, that's what will bring you to uh, genuine liberation, whereas the four form the the four formless states, the four absorptions, they will not bring you to genuine liberation. That what's that's what, what, what it means here. So maybe there's nobody here. It could be. You know, there's people who have a natural capacity to uh, uh, drop into deep peace. <coughs> I have met some people who, who are just, in the Tibetan tradition we would say it's coming from previous lives, but somehow they have just this capacity. They meditate a few years, they do some retreats, and they are... Yeah. Uh, it can be a dangerous place because uh, then instead of going for liberation you start to go for meditati meditative absorption which is useless in relationship which is useless in daily life which is useless in helping others That's one of the big contributions Lama Tsongkhapa, the founder of the Guluk tradition, made, that he pointed that out in, in his Lam Rim Shemu, in his, in his main work. So he pointed that out, that from his point of view, many, many of the Tibetan yogis and yoginis in the caves, they were stuck in, in deep uh, meditative absorptions in peace, but that kind of peace which lacks wisdom, which lacks vipassana, vipassana, vipassana. Like the fire is not there. The, the investigation is not there. The, 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 the question is not there. Who is meditating? That question is not there. And there is not this uh, uh, this investigation, okay, how do I bring this into these moments when I'm criticized? Mm -hmm. So, uh, Ken McLeod is uh, describing this.
So there is a difference, he says, between the freedom of a still mind and the freedom of no mind. So the freedom of the still mind is the four absorptions. That's the freedom of the still mind. The freedom of no mind. No mind is another uh, code word for um, selflessness, for emptiness, for you know that gap. So that gap, that nothing, which opens when we ask the question, the shift. So one of the one of the code words for that is no mind or ordinary mind. Yeah, it's just another. It could be also. It could say also the nature of your mind. So the freedom of a still mind is like kayaking in still water. It is peaceful. Yes, it's very peaceful. It's blissful. It's blissful. You can direct attention wherever you choose and address. There, because you are so still. And, now he says it, and it's almost useless in regular life. It's almost useless in regular life. Why? Because when we paddle with our kayak, it's not like this. It's not flat. So, the freedom of a still mind is like kayaking in still water. The freedom of no mind, so the freedom of um, resting in the gap, is like kayaking with no fixed point inside of, with no fixed point inside you. You are not separate from what you experience. You are not watching it. How do you do that? You ask the question. How do you do that? You ask the question. You look again and again at what cannot be seen. It's really silly. <laughs> yeah, but that's how it is. Yeah, I'm sorry. You look again and again at what cannot be seen. You look again and again at what cannot and be understood. That's why your mind is like, shit. What does it? What? What does it mean? What does it mean? You know, what does it mean? Yeah, you will, you're not going to understand it. That's the thing. So you look again and again at what cannot be seen, your own mind. Stillness does help with that looking. So that's what the, 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 this verse is about. Stillness helps with that looking. So and here the stillness, the stillness of shamatha, and we not even need to go to the ninth level. Stillness does help with that looking. It helps a lot, he says. 
Okay, I think that's enough. He just goes on in <laughs> about looking in, into that which can, cannot be seen. And so it's, I think it, it's enough now. So uh, it's helpful to, uh, to cultivate some stability in your practice. And the good news is you can use any object. So choose, choose an object which fits your personality. Choose an object which fits your preferences. And maybe it's not the breath. Maybe it's music. Maybe it's looking at a tree. Maybe it's the cat in your lap. Maybe it's the hand of your partner. It does not matter. The object is, it doesn't matter what, with what kind of object we develop that stability. So we can, we can, we can uh, use the activities of daily life uh, to cultivate stability by bringing our attention back to what we're doing, by bringing our attention back to our feet, to our breath. Uh, to smell, to taste, like in eating meditation, you know, bringing your attention back to your, to the to the taste and to the smell. Uh, you can use mental objects, mantra, visualizations, any any object of the five senses, including the mental sense, including the sixth sense. And the practice is pretty forward. You choose the object, you bring your attention there, you notice when you're not there anymore and you bring your mind back. That's it. That's how you cultivate stability. And then the question. And then the question, exactly. <laughs> oh. And then the wisdom. And and now the question uh, is like you know, one way to investigate. So there's uh, the... <laughs> the, the emptiness teachings from the Prasankhika Madhyamika, so like more reflective, uh, but that's why. Or also, uh, to, uh, so the stability then, uh, when you have this, when you have more stability, then also a loving kindness meditation will be more powerful. Tonglen is more powerful. When you are, when you have a more stable mind, if your mind goes all over the place, then, then a prayer, you know, if it's a stable mind, a refuge prayer or a take or a cultivating bodhicitta prayer, is more powerful because you are present. You, you, you are there. You do it. Uh, sometimes this, uh, this. Um, uh, this perfection is called concentration, but I, I, I think we should not use concentration because concentration sounds like this. <coughs> the, the stability we cultivate is really like, it's like, uh, so it's not like this. Yeah, that's concentration. The stability we cultivate is like this. So the, the mind rests with the objects, completely open. It really rests with the object. It's not like this. This is like the concentration of a pilot. 
of a of a well, the guys who bring the planes down who sit in the airport they alternate every two hours because they are so concentrated and with 50 they need to retire <laughs> it's true they retire with 50 because their mind is worn out by that kind of concentration that kind of focus that kind of stability which we develop in meditation is nurturing is healing it's the opposite you come out of the meditation less tired so this is something to discover How can I be focused with an object in my meditation while being completely relaxed? So, now comes the sixth, the sixth perfection, the, the one who makes. So this is the. I, actually, there's only five perse, uh, per, five perfections, because the six perfections is the one who makes the others into perfections. I, I mean, yes, there are six perfections, but the sixth one is what makes the others the perfections. So the sixth one is the question. <laughs> so now there's nothing else to say, rather than. <laughs> so now this it's only the question. So only <coughs> without some more information, just the question. <laughs> That's the sixth perfection. But I will read it. Yeah? So for the last time now. At first you find this disorienting and a bit confusing. This means the question. <coughs> Who is experiencing this? What is experiencing this? First you, first you find it disorienting and a bit confusing. Well, it does not make sense. Then you become used to cutting the sense of self this way. Then you become used to cutting the sense of self this way. You become used to. You become used to that. That this question actually cuts into this sense of self. Into the sense of a separate self. Because you're not finding the separate self. So it cuts into it. There comes a moment when you drop away maybe for a few seconds, a few minutes or a few hours. And you experience a freedom in life that you never expected. You experience a freedom in life that you never expected. It's the freedom which we experience in orgasm. That's why we like it so much. It's, it's a pity that it's so short. You, know, we sh you should learn to keep it a bit longer. You can. Because that's... The, the, the orgasm is, is the, 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 the experience 
where we it's like an approximation of the death you know when the gap completely opens in the clear light mind experience so the 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 french they called an orgasm the petit mort in it's 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 very short so that's why it's not so uh, so impressive i mean it's pretty impressive <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> but uh, um So, yeah, maybe this can help you a bit. You know, this, this sense, wow, yeah, maybe it can bring, bring you a bit into uh, awareness into uh, uh, when you have an orgasm, like, to be curious about that. Because that's when the you drops away. And you experience a freedom in life that you never expected. It is so simple. You cannot understand why you did not see this before. You, can, you cannot understand. It's like, why well, I have not seen this before? There is no I. There is no me. I have not, why, why have I not seen this? Now it's so obvious. All the old skills are there. Generosity, ethics, patience, energy and stability and attention. But you no longer have to think about them. They just happen. Everything you know is immediately available. But, but not to you, because you are not there. Everything you know is immediately available, but not to you because you are not there. So how do you do this? He says, the same way that you get to Carnegie Hall. Practice, practice, practice. First, practice to learn the skills. Then practice until they become second nature. Then practice until there's nothing left of you. Then practice until there's nothing left of you. End of story. That's it. The three verses on emptiness and the six perfections.
Yeah, I think it's enough. So how to practice it? One option is when you, if you like to, uh, my way to guide meditations, you can uh, listen to the guided meditations I have on SoundCloud, which are mainly about uh, that gap, pointing to timeless presence, pointing to the space, yeah, pointing to the space within every, which uh, within everything happens. To get to know that, to get to fa- to become familiar with that, different pointers. That's the main theme in the guided meditations. Continue to reflect on the verses and, and on the texts, on the commentary of uh, Ken McLeod, seeing it as a poetic uh, expression, not so much under trying to understand what he says, but but like going with it, being you know, being touched by it, seeing like yeah, seeing it as a, as a poem. He is what he's trying is he's trying to. Put words on a on an onto an experience which he has. So and and, and it's possible to to resonate with that, to be touched by these words. Just keep on uh, keep on keep on reading this, and keep on doing this kind of meditation. Even if at the moment you don't feel, ah, it does not make really sense. Just walk in the mist until you're wet. Mm-hmm. Just keep on walking. It it will click. At one point it will click, and then it will. It, then it happens. What he says, you will think, shit, it's so simple. Why I have not seen it before? It's so obvious. And there will be not a sense that you have wasted your time. Like, uh, it's so obvious, I wasted 20 years. <laughs> no, because the whole thing is then, <coughs> the whole thing is seen as empty. So there was no waste of time. There was never anyone there who could have wasted time. <laughs> I waste the time. No, the I is gone. Right. <laughs> well, yeah, the I is, is no, it's not the I is gone. The I is recognized as have, as as having never been existed. The I is recognized as as having having never existed. It's not that you lose something.
Okay. I think we can stop here. And uh, yeah, as I said, I I said in the in the meditation that I think it's really good if we appreciate uh, the steadiness of this group. You, know, you should be aware that, that it is it's something you you don't find easily. That 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 kind of commitment uh, of quite a big group of people who really continue to show up and uh, and you know, things like this can disappear also very quickly. It's like just now we have these conditions and these people and um, and uh, it has been going on now for for quite some years. I mean, people come and go, but there is uh, there is this uh, this stability. So this is really I don't know. It's uh, it's really special. I have not. Uh, I don't have any group like this anywhere else uh, f for so many years. I mean, I like in Copenhagen, of course. I have been teaching there for many years, but it was never possible to have like a committed group for like. You know, for doing some ongoing thing. It's like coming coming and going. So Yeah, but, but it's also uh, you know, maybe you you don't like so much some of the people who are they are a bit difficult or you but just that they are here and that they are part and that they keep this place, this group alive so that it is available for you, it makes them already precious and friends. So, don't bother so much if they are a bit strange. Or <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. <laughs> it doesn't matter. It's, it's, you should love them and, and, and be proud and happy that they are there.